Well, church family, as we gather now around the Word of God, just a couple of statements. So first of all, please uh, be in prayer for our middle schoolers. We have about 120 children and adults who are going to be dra- driving back from the upstate today, so pray for their safety. I'm glad to see our fifth graders made it back from a barrier island uh, this weekend. They were on a retreat this weekend, so it's been an interesting time. Uh, we were, I was with a group of people this morning, we were in a very evangelical way betting about who would be here, how many people would be here today, and uh, there are many more people here than I thought would be here, to be bluntly honest. Um, so uh, I, if you're from Bell Hall, I'm glad you're here. If you're not from Bell Hall, what were you thinking, for heaven's sake? <laughs> you should be home or something. <laughs> uh, so they just saw some cadets here. I thought downtown was closed and barricaded with bomb squads, so you just don't know what's going to happen here. Anyway, so I'm, I'm supposed to begin a series today out of the book of Mark on the kingdom has come. And I hate to begin a series when I thought we'd, there would be very few people here. So I'm, I'm going to go to First Peter today and give you an overview of a passage in First Peter. And so hear the word of God from First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And we pray, Holy Spirit, you would take the word of God and make application to our lives today. As we wait upon you and look to you, only you can make uh, the true application. So come, Holy Spirit, anoint us afresh, empower us afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, 1 Peter was written 61 to 63 AD to the church at large in Asia Minor. And in 64 AD, a year to three years after this book was written, Rome was burned to the ground. 75% of Rome was destroyed in a six-day conflagration. The emperor, of course, was Nero. And in the aftermath of the burning of Rome, someone had to be blamed. Some group had to be blamed. And so they blamed the Christians. It was a small and misunderstood group of people in Rome, and so said these Christians, they call them, they're cannibals because they get together on one day a week and they eat the body and blood of Christ. So they were accused of Christians. So 64 to 313 is the period of intense persecution in the early church, only abated in 313 at the Edict of Milan by Constantine. So when you think about that, that's, that's 200 and. 
49 years of persecution the church is getting ready to go into. Our country that we love so much is 236 years of age. And so the, the early persecution of the church lasted longer than we've existed as a nation. That, that, to me, that, that's fantastic. So the Holy Spirit knew about the coming persecution. And so the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write this down, this, this issue of how to conquer anxiety and how to walk through life trusting the Lord. And this is a, a marvelous little statement here in 1 Peter chapter 5 and, and how to conquer anxiety. And let's say from the outset, there are multiple reasons to have anxiety. Uh, just multiple reasons. I, I was on the web this week and I was looking at news and all of a sudden popped up the shootings in Oregon. And I was with Sarah and I said, oh no, here we go again. And whenever you as a parent read about a shooting in a community college in Oregon, you think about what, what, what about our schools? What about protecting our students? Two weeks ago I was reading the international news and I saw where 700 people in Mecca were trampled to death during a holy pilgrimage, the Hajj to Mecca. 700 people trampled to death. Uh, and then you, you read about, I've, I've been somewhat fascinated by this story about Volkswagen in Germany. Volkswagen, I, I drove a Volkswagen when I was young. Volkswagen has been a, a company where the standard of excellence is unparalleled and unquestioned. In fact, today in Germany, Germany, 20% of their exports are automobiles. 3% of their GDP automobiles. Volkswagen has been the standard of excellence. And, and this, this smoke and mirrors intentional misleading by Volkswagen officials regarding the, the fuel efficiency and diesel-ready and environmental standards of their car is going to have long-ranging, rampaging effects, this article says, in the German economy. And talked about one city that's the, the capital of the Volkswagen enterprise. They've stopped building on all municipal buildings because they expect the city to basically be, go down the drain. And I thought, you know, when I read that, I thought, you know, if this car manufacturer, the standard of excellence is doing this, are the people who inspect the airlines I fly on doing the same thing? <laughs> you think about that. You get on the airlines and you think, I, I hope that they are ethical when they look at this airlines. And there, there's, there's reasons for anxiety. So this, this passage to me talks about how do you conquer anxiety? Whether it's how your kids are doing, or your job, or your marriage, or how do you conquer this, this situation of anxiety? I think of the anxiety, as we think about the, the issue with the migrants coming into Europe, has been an absolute, I've, I've talked to people, I've read, how do you respond to this? What do you do? Several weeks ago, the Prime Minister of Germany Prime Minister Merkel said, we're going to open our arms to these immigrants, and we're going to receive them. And, and the immigrants said, we don't want to go to Romania. They have no economy. Hungary says, you can't come here. They said, we don't want to go to Croatia. They all want to go to Germany. And Merkel said, we will have them here. But more and more and more are coming. And now people are saying, we, 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 can't, we, we can't take them in. Four weeks ago, Angela Merkel opened the doors for refugees, and the Germans welcomed them with applause and food and and, and worries are mounting now that the country has been overwhelmed by this crisis. 
This is an article from the Wall Street Journal. It says, in early September, many Germans flocked to train stations to welcome arriving migrants, and commentators described the outpouring of generosity as, quote, a summer fairy tale, close quote, in a country where the Nazi history still complicates feelings of national pride. Polls showed that most Germans stood behind Miss Merkel after she declared, we can do it, close quote, in response to the question over whether Germany could handle the flow of, of people. But now they're beginning to say, we, we can't do it. We in Germany, the vice chancellor says, are rapidly approaching the limits of what we can do. Many places in Germany are already overwhelmed with these immigrants or migrants. The city of Hamburg, which is sheltering 30,000 migrants and has received 500 a day for the past month, was under particular strain this week. Tuesday night, 500 migrants had to sleep in the open air near the city's main registration point because all the shelters were full. At one Hamburg, Hamburg Shelter, Wednesday night, two militant groups got into an open fight that had to have police interference because they were fighting with table legs and weaponry. And what are they going to do? The cares, the, the, the concerns. So I think this passage gives us several ways to, 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 to deal with anxiety. The first is this. Cast all your anxieties upon him, verse 7 says, because he cares for you. That's where you start. The living God cares for his people. God cares for us. He, he loves us. He woos over us. He dances over us with light. He said, well, how, how do I know God cares for me? You go to the cross. Peter starts off this book by talking to the, the, the elect exiles scattered all over Asia Minor, and he says, you're, you're, you are his people according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. A great Trinitarian statement of splendor. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. How do you know that the living God in his triune splendor loves you? You go to the cross in the empty tomb. And, and you rejoice in that. And you say, God cares for me. And the second way we conquer anxiety is, is he says here, he says, be sober-minded and watchful. Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to drink down. So I, I just, my mind says, be sober-minded and watchful, which means to think well and to think with understanding. One thing that, that, that we forget, I forget, is that there are shades of darkness and darkness and more and more darkness, and there are shades of light and glory and goodness under the reality of all Jesus is for us. We live in a world where there is darkness and light and splendor and doom. We live in a world where there is an adversary who wants to devour and drink us down and drown us. And so the, the scripture says here, resist him firm in your faith. Resist him firm in your faith. In a world where people, I believe people have this intuitive this intuitive desire for that which is the unseen. We call it the Trinitarian nature of God. That there's a cry in the heart of people that, that says we, we want to know. I was, I was reading recently, this is, I thought this was a fantastic article, 
about, it's entitled Medium Wellness. And the profile of a woman named Mrs. King who goes from Tucson, Arizona to a place in Massachusetts to London, her home. And she goes to these places, to these wellness centers for very, very, very wealthy people. And, and she really kind of reads their future. Let me, let me just read it. I, I just thought, wow. So, so she was sitting with this one person. She goes in there while they're getting a massage. And the massage is costing says $300 an hour. And she charges an extra $525 an hour or 50 minutes to read their future. And so she told this man who wrote this article, I see a red ball almost in flames, she told me, in her down-to-earth style, challenging my skepticism. She might have been onto something. I have an autoimmune disorder that causes joint inflammation. In fact, three-quarters of what she told me connects via dotted lines, albeit circuitously, to situations in my life. Then again, she could have been speaking about anyone when she told me, quote, over the past 10 years, you've gone through a personal crisis, close quote. Well, okay, I think that's fair. But at this very up-end fitness center in, in Tucson, Arizona, they have Chinese astrology handwriting analysis for 230 bucks for 30 minutes. They have clairvoyant readings and numerology uh, for 230 bucks for 35 minutes. Uh, and the physician in charge of this, a medical doctor says, by the name of Mark Laponis, says our guests are looking to explore wellness from all angles, mind, body, and spirit. Metaphysical consultations can provide insight and offer alternative pathways to self-awareness. While they may forget the reading on the bone density scanner, guests seldom forget their reading from tarot cards or the astrologer. I just thought, wow, that, the Bible condemns this. The, the Bible says this is from the dark side. The Bible says you don't go there. The Bible says when you do these type of things, you can unwittingly open the door to great evil in your life. The article goes on and on and on. One man said if you write with a forward slant in your Sign your name, it means you're full of energy and optimism. So I'm going to make sure I'm doing forward when I write this point forward. You know? It goes on and on. And so so I, I, I was thinking, Peter just says, be sober and watchful and, and think well and think with understanding. And I, I say, well, how, how do we know to do that? How do we do this? How, how do we resist him being watchful and sober? And here's my answer. It is found in knowing, thinking, remembering the Bible. You, you use the scripture. You, you beat up the devil with the word of God. You resist him. You, you walk in awareness because you're people of the book. You think well. You, you think in realities of, of, of what's going on because you think in the book. For, for example, I was reading earlier this week in Psalm 3, and I was just rejoicing in this wonderful little psalm where the psalmist is saying, God, David's in a point of real need, and he says, says many are saying to, to me, oh Lord, you know, they're saying, well, where's your God? Where's your protector? Where's the one who watches over you? And he says this, verse 3, he answers his critic, he says, but you, oh Lord, are a shield about me, you're my glory and the lifter of my head. Now, I just thought, if I just would get that verse and write it down and, and pray through it, and, and when a, a thought hits me that says, well, you know, 
can you really, this person did you wrong, or this person didn't do you right, or whatever, whether it's true or false, that's what my little brain thinks that. And I says, well, I'm not going to go there because I'm walking under the blood of Christ, and, and you, O oh Lord, are a shield around me. You're my glory, and you're the lifter of my head. Or when you are on the edge of being critical or fault-finding or loser, whatever you struggle with, you stop and you say, Lord, the Scripture says, you are a shield around me, my glory and the lifter of my head. And that's, see, to, to me, that's the way you fight the devil with truth. You walk in truth. You sing. You glory in the goodness of Christ. And if we're going to, if we're going to be people who conquer anxiety, we must walk in truth. Thirdly, we've got the, the scripture says here. I, I, when I read this, I think it's somewhat interesting, the, the order of the text. And I don't fully understand why it's here, but it's here. I, I pondered this. He says this. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing, this is what I don't fully understand, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I'm going, that's interesting, but what, what the scripture says here is one way to conquer anxiety is to realize you're part of something bigger than yourself is to realize what he says in chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. Again, this is before the major persecutions. When it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And he says, one way you resist the devil and one way you conquer anxiety is you realize that your brotherhood throughout the world is experiencing suffering. And do I know that? Do, do I, when I quote the Apostles' Creed and I say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints. Catholic meaning universal. The communion of the saints, there's fellowship with those who have gone before me. The forgiveness of sins. The resurrection of the body. The life everlasting. Amen. Do, I, do, I, do, I, do I realize several months ago I was preaching through a text and came upon something like this and I said people say what do we do if this happens or this happens in our culture what if we lose our taxes and status? And I, I said then, I've said it to myself a hundred times, you know what? They're beheading believers in certain parts of the world. Buck up. And this week an article was published, and this is something we need to say loudly as a church. This is entitled, saving Christians from ISIS persecutions. Since the rise of the Islamic State known as ISIS, about 125 Christians have fled from Iraq. After ISIS took Mosul in June of 2014, the city's Christians flocked to Erbil, the Kurdish capital in Syria, once home to nearly 2 million Christian background people. At least 5 
100,000 have been displaced during four years of war. It is the ISIS policy to kidnap and rape Christian women and girls. The terrorist group has raised Christian sites, including monasteries dating to the 5th century. Last October, the ISIS magazine Dabiq referred to Christians as, quote, crusaders and vowed to kill, quote, every crusader possible, close quote. And that's in our day. And this article goes on and says that in January of 1944, the United States government, two years after the Nazis started the final solution, started speaking out on behalf of the Jewish people of Europe. And they rescued 200,000 people. But it goes on and says, but many people said it's too little, too late. And I just thought, what, 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 what do we do? I thought about being a young man in the 1970s and reading about Pol Pot killing 1.5 million people in Cambodia. Uh, and make no mistake about it, Christians are being targeted. And so I, I read that and I say to myself, get some courage, buddy. Get some courage. Be a little bit more like John the Baptist. Speak, but for those who cannot protect themselves. In November, the church observes Persecution Church Sunday, but that should be part of what we do all the time, according to 1 Peter. And the fourth way you conquer anxiety says, here's this, it says, and, and after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 4, encouraging the elders, he says this, and, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And I, I, and I just say to you, I say to me on this rain Sunday, do not let the hope of heaven get snowed under. Don't let the hope of heaven get snowed under. Uh, I was reading Friday afternoon, didn't read morning and evening until Friday afternoon, but on Friday morning, this is what Spurgeon says. He just, boom. He says, our hope in Christ for the future is the mainstay of our joy now. Our hope of heaven with Christ in the future is the mainstay of our joy now. It will animate our hearts to think often of heaven. Through the Spirit of God, the hope of heaven is the most potent force for the production of virtue. It is the fountain of joyous effort. It is the cornerstone of cheerful holiness. And that's a strong statement. The hope of heaven is the most potent force of the development of virtue. It is the fountain of joyous effort, and it is the cornerstone of cheerful holiness. Do not let the hope of heaven be eclipsed by a culture that says, live only for now. Friday morning, I was talking to the men at Man to Man, and I said, you know, C.S. Lewis wrote a little chapter from your Christianity. Lewis could just say it so well in just a few pages. But Lewis wrote a chapter on hope, and he says there, there's three ways people approach hope. And I, I see it all the time. I see it all the time. I think he's absolutely right. He says there's, there's the fool's way, there's the disillusion but proper man way, and then there's the Christian way. The, the fool's way 
is the way that says, if I only meet the right woman, have the right relationship, or go on the right vacation, or live in the right house, or go to the right city, or have the right job, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be fulfilled. The problem is you never get there. You never get there. And, and then somewhere along, along the fool's way, you hit the line or the wall of limited returns. Years ago, there were several books that were written about men in midlife crisis. And a midlife crisis for a man or a woman is when you hit the reality that you will not win the Heisman Trophy, or you'll not be the CEO of the Fortune 500 company, or you will not be a, 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 a congressman, or you will not be an ambassador to Italy, or you will not be a runaway model. And for most of us, it hits about the age of 21. But, but Lewis says, you, you, as long as you can fool yourself, you can live the fool's way. But then you hit that, that wall, and you become a, a disillusioned but proper man. And he says, and you're hard to live with. You hit a wall, and, and no matter, I'm getting older now, no matter how hard you try, how hard you work, your body is atrophying. It just doesn't respond like it used to. It just doesn't respond like it used to. And, and you see people getting older around you. And then you realize you are too. But Lewis says there's the Christian way. And that's the glory of the gospel, in part. The Christian way says, the best is yet to be. You take the greatest joy in this life, and you multiply it by, by one billion times one billion, and you've got the joy of heaven. That's what the Bible says. And so as we get older, we're okay. Because one day, resurrection bodies. Really. As we forget things, one day we will have a mind that's capacious to worship the living God. It fills me with, I'm around people all the time who are my age or a little bit older who have just checked out of life. They become disillusioned. They never got the job they wanted. They never had the kids they thought they were going to have. They don't have the retirement portfolio they thought they were going to have. And life is tough. I go here. How do I conquer anxiety? The hope of heaven. It's part of it. Do not let it get snowed under. Do not. So we rejoice in that. We overcome anxieties because we know that the living God cares for us, and we see that in the cross. We overcome anxieties because our brothers and sisters throughout the world are going through the same Heartache that we go through in most places because of our freedom here is multiplied 1,000 times over. We overcome heartache because we, we, we are, we're sober-minded and we watch and we think well and we look at life well. And we overcome anxieties because the best is yet to be. When I was in high school, we had to memorize some poems in high school. And one of the poems we had to memorize was entitled uh, Rabbi Ben Ezra by Robert Browning. This part of it. I'll never forget what he says, grow old with me, the best is yet to be. And I was a young guy, I wasn't a believer, but I remember reading that thinking, what a crock. 
Seriously, I just buried my grandparent. I saw my granddad who could hardly move. We were going to put my grandmother into a convalescent center, and I'd go visit her. I said, you know, you got to be kidding me. Grow old with me, the best is yet to be. The only people that can read that poem with sanity are followers of Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. That's good news. That's real good news. Thanks be to God. Thanks for being here on flood, rain, torrential downpour Sunday, October 2015. So let's let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day and for the tender mercies of the cross. Thank you that uh, in a world that has multiple reasons to have anxiety, whether we're looking at young children that are growing up or whether we're looking at future uh, issues in health or retirement or uh, whether we're looking at world situations that we've seen in Oregon or even the ongoing issues of of the Middle East and Europe, on and on and on, we step back and say, um, and in some way don't fully understand, there is a God who watches over our situations and who loves me. Thank you that we can just throw our anxieties on you because you care for us. We, we, we can do that. And we think of our friends and our family members who do not know you, and I, I don't know how they do it. I don't. So give us hearts for people and, and one another. Uh, th- thank you for the hope of the gospel. Th- thank you that we can say with Robert Browning, but especially with the Apostle Paul, the best is yet to be. The best is yet to be. The outward man is perishing, but the inner man is being renewed. And we thank you, Lord, that you've made us part of a worldwide following of God called the Church of the Living Christ. And we pray for our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted and singled out and, and murdered, murdered, whether it's in northern Nigeria or whether it's in Iraq, whether it's in Afghanistan, whether it's in Syria, North Korea, we pray for our brothers and sisters. And, and as we see these men and women who are living with integrity and courage, teach us to be brave. Teach us to be broken and bold in Jesus' name. Amen.